So, good morning everyone. Uh, it's my joy once again to be sharing with you God's Word. Uh, I'd like to welcome those who are worshiping with us for the first time, as well as those of us who came to face-to-face -face worship coming from online worship. So, I won't ask you to stand, but I hope that this will not be your last time to worship with us. And as the Lord is the one who lead you here, may your knowledge and love for our Heavenly Father grow deeply, and may UECP be your family in the Lord. Now, last week, Dr. Samson Oitanlet uh, talked to us about the letter of Philemon. The obvious message in that short letter is about forgiveness. And I'm blessed as to how Dr. Samson uh, gave us another perspective about power and pardon. And so, if you missed the sermon, I would like to encourage you as well to look at our UECP YouTube channel to view that wonderful message. And today, we'll be looking at the book of Jude, which also contains 25 verses. Same with that of Philemon. But unlike Philemon, my friends, this is not under Pauline epistles. For, this, for Paul is not the author of this letter. But the author of this letter is Jude, who is the half-brother of Jesus Christ, and who is the brother of James, the one who wrote the letter of James. Now, if the letter of Philemon is about forgiveness, the letter of Jude that we're going to talk about today is about defending our faith. And another letter in the New Testament that have similar content with that of Jude is 2 Peter. So both of these authors talk about how to identify ungodly people or those we called false teachers today. And with that, I would like to recommend to us to read Jude and 2 Peter, Peter side by side for better understanding of what false teachers are. Now, one of the most famous, or not the most, but famous sports in our country today is basketball. You will see courts from uh, streets, from schools, and even inside some churches. So... In team sports, there is an obvious offense and there is what we call defense. And you know, I see a lot of people wanting to play offense more than defense. You know why? In my observation, because offense is more noticeable than defense. What people usually remembers is the one who scored the most points. Or maybe who hit that game-winning basket in the game. And there's also this saying that uh, offense wins games, but championship, I sorry, but defense wins championship. But we all know the reality. Usually, little recognition is given to those who play good defense. To some, they might be good at offense, so they focus on that. 
and they, and they just entrusted the defense to those who are not good offensively. And besides, this is a team sports. Tulong-tulungan tayo. But you know, offense without defense is useless. You can try your best to score the more, most points on one side, but the opponent as well on the other side would just easily score because of your lack of defense. And in basketball or any team sports, when you lose a sport, it is just a game. However, when it comes to faith, when you are not able to defend it, the consequence is very great. And it could involve losing the soul for eternity. Let me ask you, do you know of someone today who have turned against God because followers of Jesus failed to defend their faith? And what if these are those who are close to you? Or maybe you have someone that you can win to the Lord if only you know how to answer a question that this guy is asking you. So with that, for us to say that we know our faith, I believe we must be able to know how to defend it. And defending the faith, my friends, is not just the role of a pastors, seminary professors, or even the so-called apologists today, or those person or persons who focus on, on the science of defending one's faith. In fact, it is the role of every follower of Jesus Christ. And we can see that in the opening greetings of Jude's letter. In verse 1, it says there, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Now, who are those who are called? Let's look at verse 3. It says there in verse 3, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Verse 3 tells us that it is also called saints, right? In other translations, saints is translated as holy people. When you truly have Christ in your life, you are the holy people being referred here. People that are set apart for God's purpose. And if you belong to the holy people, my friends, let me tell you that you and I are the defenders of faith. Can you tell your sitmate right now that you are a defender of faith? Parang mahina. <laughs> Parang ayaw, no? So let me ask you, how is their facial reaction? Natuwa ba? Or parang NR? You see, uh, you, might, you might say to me, no? Pastors, ang dami na nating role. No? Meron na tayong role na servant. Meron na tayong role ng slave, disciple maker, we are a leader, we are a teacher, peacemaker, and now you are adding another role for us, and that is defenders. 
But you know, my friends, this is not a new command. As we can see in verse, t, verse 3. I understand as well that this could be a difficult uh, command for the audience back then needs reminder from Jude. Now, the question is, knowing that we have several roles as followers of Jesus Christ, like the list that I just mentioned, but it's not complete, how would you lighten it up? Maybe to some of us, we would say na, pili na lang tayo kung anong hiyang sa akin. No? But no, we cannot choose. But we must have the right qualities. Let's look at verse 2. In verse 2, it says there, May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. So these qualities, my friend, are not the qualities that we should strive for or work hard, but rather, these are the qualities, the mercy and peace and love coming from God. And I believe that if we have that right qualities in our life right now, defend, defending the faith should not be a burden, but it should be an opportunity and a privilege for each one of us. Now let's go back to verse 3. In verse 3, we see Jude's original plan was to write about salvation or us being saved. But then he changed his plan to write about defending the faith. Question is why? And here's my opinion. You know, in a church, there are usually three groups of people. So, the first group are those who truly accepted Christ and are called the holy people. And then the second group are those who are not saved, but they are actually seeking God as of this time. Probably they might be in our sanctuary today. And then we label them as seekers. And there's this third group of people which are called the ungodly people. These are people that after they have heard of the gospel, they have decided not to believe in God. And if you are the holy people and you are not doing your part in defending the faith, while these ungodly people are doing their best to influence the seekers in the middle, chances are the seekers will be won over by the ungodly people. And therefore, my friends, defending the faith once again is necessary. And I like to tell us that the knowledge about our salvation is also the same knowledge that we need to defend our faith. What I mean by that is that the Bible, the Bible is the same source that we need to know our salvation and to defend our faith. Question right now is that what would it take for us to finish the Bible or even start reading it? Friends, I think it is time for us today to deepen our knowledge in the faith so that we will be courageous when it comes to defending the faith and not fearful about it. I see this quote in the internet by Candy Swain Powell and it says this, The lack of knowledge creates fear. 
but seeking knowledge creates courage. I like to share this uh, helpful personal assessment and commitment that I got from the seminary about dealing with God's Word. Next slide, please. Yeah. So, this is the evaluation form that was sent to us towards the end of my uh, hermeneutic study. So, the first question is, how many books of the Bible have you studied in your life right now? So, if you read with us the passage last week, the Philemon, and today, the Jude's letter, you already finished two, two books of the Bible. Now, after answering letter A, you go to letter B. How many years have you been a Christian? For letter C, the current rate of study, you just divide letter A with letter B. That gives you the rate of study. And now, letter D, how many books do I need to study to finish the entire Bible? So we have 66 books in the Bible. And then, uh, as you have the number, we go to letter E. At my current rate of study, how many years will it take for me to finish the entire Bible? So all you need to do is the book that you don't read yet, divide it by the current rate of study. You know, as I got this result, I'm ashamed of my result because it would took me 110 years given with the rate of I am studying the Bible. And are you satisfied with the way how you read the Bible? Now let's continue. So if there is a defender of faith, which are holy people, who are the one that we need to defend the faith to? The answer is ungodly people. The opposite of ungodly or godly people, i sorry, the holy people or godly people is ungodly people. These ungodly people back then were in their midst. And in the same way, I believe, it could also be in our church. I mean not only in our church, but in any church. Who are now the ungodly people? Let us look at Jude chapter four, uh, verse 4. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. I also put up here the NLT translation for easier understanding. Next slide, please. So in, L in NLT uh, translation, it says there, ungodly people are those that, uh, that says that God's marvelous grace allows us to live an immoral life. Second is that they have denied our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So how were they able to enter in their midst during that time? hundred or thousand years ago. Jude didn't elaborate on this. But I think you will agree with me that because you are going to church on Sundays does not mean that you are saved, right? 
we also have seekers here as well in this sanctuary. And there also could be ungodly people that looks like holy people. But what I do know of is that there is spiritual battle ongoing back from their time and even up to our time today. A battle that is not seen, but we know that it is very real. Hindi ba mas nakakatakot ang isang battle na hindi mo nakikita? And in this case, it has everything to do with the wrong application of the grace of God and Jesus being just one of the many options. In fact, the Apostle Paul in his letter to Romans in chapter 6 says this because he already anticipated that this is going to happen. He says this, What shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? You know, as I read this verse before, I can't help but these very words return to me. I feel guilty, especially this part. And just a few verses after, Paul once again says this, What then are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? Again, Paul gave us the same answer, by no means. Hindi pwede kahit anong mangyari. Friends, let me tell you that grace is a powerful word if understood properly. But at the same time, it could also be a deadly word if it is applied wrongly. Just like the examples in our passage. Now, there are two important components of faith. First is by grace. Second is faith in Jesus Christ. We have been hearing about grace many times in the pulpit. But I want to ask you, is the grace from the Lord right now enabling you to live a moral lives or immoral lives? Only two can happen, moral or immoral. And if the grace is enabling you to live more immoral in your life than before, then it means that you have not truly repented from your sins. And you might have been deceived already. Now, the second question is, is Jesus truly the only Master and Lord of your life? Both these questions are serious questions that should be answered with the big yes from our heart. Our heart, our hands, and our head should go uh, in line with each other. And there is no pretension here, my friends. And should there be any contradictions, then I believe it is a conviction from, the, from God that we need to work things out. Now, let's continue with our verse. From verse 5 to verse 7, Jude again reminds the holy people here. No? Reminder na naman. 
So, again, this is not a new teaching, but it is a reminder. Look at the start of verse 5. It says there, Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it. No? Hindi naman siya bago sa kanilang pandinig. And how did the people knew about this back then? Probably in the manuscripts or maybe in scrolls that were circulating before. And Jude went on to talk about Israel being saved from Egypt. He also discussed about rebellious angels who have kept for the day of judgment. And of course, Sodom and Gomorrah, the famous immoral cities that God himself destroyed. I can't help it but notice that our letter today has a lot of reminders. First, people have forgotten that they should defend their faith. And worse is that they also forgotten the scriptures. How many reminders do we need for us to be able to, to know or to learn that we're not right with God, that we need this? The scripture itself is very important. It is the very word of God. And this is not just ink in a paper, but this is the very breath of God. Or to some of us, do we really want to taste God's wrath today? So what they have forgotten here were important. They forgot their calling. Another that they forget is the word of God. So, have we forgotten our calling or the word of God? Or to us sometimes, uh, there is nothing to forget with, to begin with, because we don't know, we, we don't know this. We see, uh, you see, all of us grow a year older each year. But how about our spiritual life? Is it growing or do we remain spiritual infants even for so many years? Now, what does this example from verse 5 up to verse 7 translate in our time today? Let us look at verse 8. It says there, in the like manner, these people also relying on their dreams defile the flesh, reject the authority, and blaspheme the glorious one. My friends, do you know these stories? Except for the story of the archangel Michael, all illustrations that are listed in the letter of Jude can be found in the, New, in the Old Testament. So what does it mean? This is my point. If we know God's word very well, we can identify who are the ungodly people. But on the contrary, if we don't know God's word, it would be hard for us to identify ungodly people. And the worst part here is that Satan might have deceived us into thinking that we are holy people, but actually, we're not. 
And the stories in the Old Testament are recorded for us to study their lives, to emulate their good, and of course, to refrain from committing the mistakes they did. You know, a lot of times I hear people say that they don't want to read the Old Testament. They want the New Testament. But when you tell them stories about Daniel, about David, about Moses, they are familiar with those. So these stories, my friends, are in the Old Testament. Now that we know that we are the holy people that should be the defenders of faith, that the ungodly people here are those who wrongly applied God's word and did not acknowledge Jesus as the only Savior, how do we defend the faith? Let's look at our our passage in 20 to 21. It says there, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to repentance, uh, that, that leads to eternal life. Sorry. You know, these verses that we read is an application not to your neighbor, but to our own selves. And how to build ourselves in the most holy faith. This is where the second Peter, the letter of Second Peter will be helpful. So let us now go to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 to 8. Together, can we read this? Go. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they kept you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, in this passage, building of faith takes every effort. You have got to give your best And it should be increasing and not just stagnant in order for you and I to be effective and fruitful. I know that nobody in this room wants to stay ineffective and unfruitful. So if you want to be effective and fruitful in defending the faith, we must build ourselves in the most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit as well. That is the only way you can defend the faith if you know the faith. Very basic, right? Now let's go to what is the role of the Holy Spirit here. The Holy Spirit is going to help us understand and rightly apply the Word of God. If you are looking for other methods as to how to defend your faith that is more effective, then I am here to tell you that there is no better way than what God gave us. The Bible, 
and the Holy Spirit. And God will never say to you, no, ang galing mo, hindi ko naisip yun ah. Okay? He will never tell us that because God knows everything. And for sure, it's very tempting to find a new way to defend the faith today as we see ungodliness continue to evolve around us. But always remember this, there is no better way than God's way. And God's way always involves the Bible and Holy Spirit. And isn't it amazing that God's Word need not to be changed and yet it remains so effective, so powerful, so authoritative, and it has final say to everything. I want you to remember Mark 13, verse 11, when you are defending your faith. It says in Mark 13, verse 11, Jesus Christ himself speaking, and when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand about what you are to say, but say what is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. So maybe for those of us here who are impromptu, sana'y mag-impromptu, mas, mas madali ito. But for those planning, planners rather, you need to trust God whenever you're in trial. That the Holy Spirit will be the one to put the right words at the right time. And you know, as a pastor, reading is very much important. I remember one time uh, sharing with a co-pastor here about my struggle to reading. And my struggle in reading is this, that I don't have a system on how to recall the important details of what I read should the time comes that I need it. And I like what he said to me. She just encouraged me to continue reading and he told me this, that our brain works like a computer. So a computer is useless without any data in it. But as the data continue to be added to, to that computer, the computer becomes more useful. Wag lang mabirus, no? But in the same way, our brain also works that way. Relating it to Mark 13, verse 11, should the time comes that we need to defend the faith, trust in the Holy Spirit to give you exactly the right words to say at just the right time. And so today, I don't have a system of properly recalling what I read. But instead of figuring out a system, I just read a book. And I really make time reading for it. Now let's go to some Bible stories about how effective Bible and Holy Spirit. And we can look at how 
effective it is in the story of Jesus being tempted in the desert. You can look at it in the story of Luke chapter 4, verse 1 to 13. And let me uh, just emphasize the role of the Holy Spirit in this story. Verse 1 says this, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. The Spirit was the one who led Jesus to the wilderness. Madalas yan yung highlight. But we should not forget that the Spirit himself did not left Jesus there. And the story continues that Jesus was tempted for 40 days and he ate nothing during those days, according to our scripture. That makes him spiritually weak. And the tempter here was no ordinary tempter, but Satan himself. Satan tempted Jesus three times, quoting from the scriptures, and Jesus himself quoted also from the scripture. And in the end, we know the outcome. He was able to overcome the temptation. You see, Jesus here could have used other methods since he is the Son of God. But he purposefully uses the Word of God against Satan. Friends, when you and I are deeply grounded in the Word and is filled with the Holy Spirit, you definitely will defend the faith well. And not only that, I know that we talked about ungodly people earlier. You might also win them over to the Lord. And as a holy people, our goal is not to eliminate those ungodly outside the church, but rather to make them see the truth and the love of our God. For all of us here in this room were once ungodly, but we are saved by grace by our Lord Jesus Christ. And so today, I challenge each one of us to grow deeply into the Word of God. And when you are deeply rooted in the Word of God, there is no challenges in life that you cannot overcome. In closing, I would like to give another example of a man of God who is full of faith and Holy Spirit in the New Testament. And his name starts with letter S. Can you guess who he is? It's not Paul, of course, but it is Stephen. Okay? The, uh, Paul gave approval to the death of Stephen. So you can see the story of Stephen in the book of Acts. And at that time, you know, the church were increasing in numbers, but the problem arises where the widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. So may ayuda sila before. But at the same time, the apostles only is limited. And since the apostles didn't want the preaching to stop serving the table, so they have only to choose, right? And so they decided to select seven men full of spirit 
and wisdom. And among the seven that is described here, I notice that only Stephen is described as this in Acts chapter 6, verse 5. It says there, And what they said pleased the whole gathering. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Another description of Stephen that quickly follow is in verse 8. Again, we see this, Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Many people from different races at that time rose up and disputed against Stephen. But here's the good news of what the Bible says in verse 10. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And so, my friends, today, if you are full of grace, you're full of faith, you're full of the Holy Spirit, you are unbeatable when it comes to defending the faith. And remember this as we, as we end. You can only defend the faith well if you know the strategy of your enemy. You can only defend the faith well if you know the scripture. And last but very important, you can only defend well our faith if you rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. That's it. And I believe if you value your salvation and you are truly God's people, you will defend the faith. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I'd just like to thank you once again for this great reminder. Forgive us, O God, for the many times that we forget what is important, what is crucial into our lives, but then we turn to the worldly way. So Father, this time, I'd just like to pray for us that all of us here who hear your word would truly invest time in deepening their knowledge of your Son, Jesus Christ, and of the Scripture. And at this, in the same way, Father, I pray that you would help us trust in the power of your word, which never fails. And at the same time, Lord, may you teach us how to depend on the Holy Spirit, the one that you gave to each believer, who is the one to help us interpret your word correctly. And Lord, we thank you once again for this reminder. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.